Hello, hello, hello. Hum hai orte dil se desi, a podcast by South Asian American women who dare to raise their voices for South Asian women. Welcome back. This is episode 11. In today's episode, we will be talking to Tejal, who is a therapist specializing in couples therapy and maternal mental health, and a mom of two young boys, about some of the challenges facing South Asian parents today. We'll be discussing questions like, what kinds of struggles are South Asian children of these recent generations experiencing, and what it's like to be a South Asian parent today trying to pass on the culture in comparison to how our parents passed it on to us. As I always say, parenting is one huge experiment. No one actually knows what they're doing, and just when you think you've got it all figured out, your kid shows you that you've got it all wrong. Let's listen now to episode 11. Hello, Orte. Hello, Orte. Hello, Orte. Hello, Orte. So today we're joined by our special guest, Dejal. Dejal, welcome back, and thank you for being with Orte again. Thank you for having me. Um, today's topic is uh, pretty interesting, and Dejal... Thank you for bringing this forward, actually. Um, we're going to be talking about the struggles of our South Asian Gen Z that's growing mm. up today. So this is the generation that's sort of born between, you know, 2005 and onwards, 2000 and onwards. Um, so they're the ones that are probably in, you know, kind of around in their 18 year olds all the way up to our infants even that are growing up in this day and age growing up with technology all around us growing Mm -hmm. up with many screens around us a lot of different ways of schooling covid covid going through a pandemic yeah Yeah. apparently the covid babies are different internet 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 social media internet having a growing up in a home where they where nothing's new the technology is not nothing's new or exciting it's just accepted it's uh part of the norm yeah versus the previous generations remember what it was like to have to not have something and then to for it to be be introduced into the world like i remember when facebook came out i remember like adding someone as a friend and being in a relationship on facebook but for them it's the norm and Google. Yeah. But yeah, being able to Google anything. If you have right. a question about something, like just what'd you do? You Google it. And just even growing up with I, these sort of interactions, you know, like sending emojis versus actually like having a conversation. Yeah. Um, just even the modes of communication have changed, right? Like you can send, mm-hmm. you can send any emoji, like a poop emoji. <laughs> Instead yeah, of like saying, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> All our children who only communicate with you via text. Right. Right. And the language has changed too, right? The way that they communicate. AOL first came out. Uh, actually, when IRC, which internet really chat with this thing, right? And then after that, AOL came out. And then after that, Messenger came out. Mm-hmm. And then slowly and slowly, language started to change. HRU. ROFL and all of those things. Oh, and now that's know. progressed yeah. to emoticons, right? right? Emojis. What is, what is, what was HRU? How are you? How are you? Yes. Yeah. It, it started um, with ASL, I think, right? Like the fact that we were using it like A slash S slash L. Yeah. Wasn't that age, like, sex, location? Right. Yes. But that's yes. how yeah. I was the original. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, and Geith, you mentioned something before AOL that I didn't know about. 
IRC. IRC. I'm older, yeah. babe. <laughs> what is IRC? Internet Relay Chat, which came out, which predates everybody. It was a chat module that was created inside MS-DOS. So it was a black screen with green words, basically. That's all yeah. you would see. Before AOL. Before AOL. Yeah. And that was the original way for you to chat with people that you no face, no name, no nothing, and they were just tag names. So, yeah. like, I had friends that were named Zakham and Patanikya, and I was, I don't know what I was. <laughs> I don't remember, but... And then I thought her name like... was Patanikya, because that's a pretty <laughs> awesome name. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that would have been a really cool name, actually. actually. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, who are you talking to? Patanikya. <laughs> but... Um... You know, but I think, I, yeah. you know, what we are talking about right now is like, you know, the kinds of struggles that South Asian children of these sort of recent generations, right? Like even if even if we go into the millennial generation from Gen Z, still very different lives, right? Like mm-hmm. we went from TV to screen, like multiple screens, even just in our own generations. Um, so, you know, what kinds of struggles are children of today experiencing in today's world? But then how is it? different from the struggles that we had growing up what were what were our struggles growing up i i feel like as for speaking for myself as a second generation born to immigrants it was that um just, just for me i would say but my parents immigrated in the 70s and 80s and their focus was to like provide and like survive and they came here with for their opportunities as well as like to provide better opportunities for their children and in their hyper focus of that, those two goals of like providing and surviving, they weren't thinking about the collateral consequences of raising their children in a country that they weren't familiar with. Like they didn't have that same experience. And so as we tried to find, so they really couldn't relate to us. Um, that was one of the struggles that I felt uh, for my, my sister and I, and that they didn't, they couldn't relate or offer guidance in any way because they didn't have a frame of reference. So we were kind of alone in that process. So I definitely felt like that was a struggle of trying to figure that out, which is which is different for me now raising, and I'm not, technically I'm not raising Gen Zers because my children were born after 2015. So that's supposed to be a new generation, but either which way, they're my second generation children. And, but we have that sort of thing in common so I would say that was one of our struggles. I, I can't speak to what it was like for the generations before me, like the Gen Xers. Yeah. Hey, Gen Xers. <laughs> so I want to talk about that. My daughter is 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So her dad and I, we faced the challenge that every parent for Gen Z faced, which is the internet. Because nobody, even parents who are younger to us, our parenting this generation did not face this. So Instagram and Snapchat, they're total strangers who our kids can relate to and saying, but they're not kids. So that's the dilemma that most people who are raising Gen Z and Gen I kids face. Like, how do we control it? Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we want we can't have our kids not have any internet because right. it's the norm. Right. It's such a utility, right? Like it's, it's a ubiquitous right now. The internet is in a lot of parts of the world. Yes, there's and some how- parts of the world that don't have it still, but it is sort of like any other utility, like electricity, right? 
And when you ask your nine-year-old or 10-year-old or 11-year-old and say, if a total stranger knocks on your door, are you going to let them mm-hmm. in? And they say, no. But on internet, when there are these fake accounts and this. Yeah. Security is an issue for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how do you help your kids with that? That's the yeah. dilemma all of us parents. And I think, you know, and I spoke to a, um, a Gen Xer who has, you know, a teenage son and a daughter who, you know, is a little younger. And so she's going through those same exact things. She's like, sure, they can be on games and they're using social media, but she's like, I cannot control what other people are going to do. And I, you know, that's the one thing that scares her is that like, how do we equip our children with the knowledge? So they don't, they don't struggle with the internet. They can use it the way we use it as a utility without, Mm -hmm. without it harming them either. Right. And I think that those are some of the scarier parts of the internet, the dark spots of the internet, I guess I should say, but agreed. even if we think about our own struggles, I mean, what was it like, you know, the tape would stop working and the, our VHS tapes would stop working and we'd have to pop it out and like trying to rewind it and stuff like, you know, we had like these manual issues. (laughs) I think some of our issues started similarly with strangers meeting strangers. I mean, we, we were also, we were the beginning of that generation, I think. I mean, we were the beginning of that interaction. In our generation, there was a lot of people that were, because this internet really chat that I'm talking to you about was actually local. It started off with like inter-college chat, like on an intranet, and then you meet up with these random people, you're meeting up with them. So that started back in my generation, which I think like, and then you guys too, right? Those were, you guys were meeting people that you randomly met on the internet, weren't you? For sure. So let me ask you this, like, what were the struggles for you growing up? Like, and this is obviously a little before technology. So before IRC. I mean, I I had cultural problems growing up. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, that's part of it, right? Yeah, I had major cultural problems. I went to Catholic school and my parents were staunch Hindus. So it was a very difficult journey for me that way because it was always in question. I mean, I was starting to feel I had to be part of religion class when I went to Catholic school. So I had to attend and I had to attend mass. So both things had to happen. And so I was attending religious school and I was attending mass, but I wouldn't pray because I was like, this is not my God. And I said that to the teacher and I got reprimanded and I got detentions and I got, I became a target for them because they didn't like the fact that I wasn't bowing down to their God. And slowly and slowly the teachers just stopped liking me or would pick on me because of that. Like, you know, that one thing that I was rejecting their belief system. So that was a struggle. I coming back home and telling my mom about it. And my mom was like, yes, Berta, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, but I'm the one facing the music outside. Yeah. You know? That was um, always a struggle, like of just feeling like you're out of place, right? I think growing yeah. up, at least kids today have, there's a little more, there's an increase of South Asians within like US, for example. And so yeah. you know, we're seeing a lot more South Asians joining schools and stuff. So our kids are growing up with a lot more people from their own communities as well. Yeah, but- I was very thankful that my parents actually started going to the temple because where I was living, there was like no, very few brown families and far between. We would see them like once in a, once in a month or something, there was some event that would happen and I'd see other brown people. But like in school, they were just these random token one or two people. And most of the time, 
we were pitted against each other, so we never talked to each other, you know, because it was like the brownie mm. versus the brownie. Well, who's going to get the higher mark? That kind of crap. Yeah. So I'm very thankful for the identity that I got from going to a temple, for example. And yeah. I got to meet other people that were like me, um, brown, and believed the same things. And, you know, it was easier in that way. Yeah. So my struggles were that. My struggles were never really with internet and stuff at all. Yeah. I think the fact that just kids these days are growing up with technology in their hands and that's just that's the way of their worlds whereas for us it was never our way of the world right no. like we see it i think we definitely see it as like oh this useful technology that can do all these things for us mm-hmm. whereas i think this generation sees it and it's kind of like well yeah and why wouldn't it be there yeah it's a norm. Yeah. they're also a generation of instant gratification aren't they mm-hmm. absolutely like we yeah, we yeah. come from the times when you know deliveries meant three weeks, we come okay. from the times when food delivery was not a thing, and like you would have to go and pick up the food from the restaurant. Right, like pizza was like the most that got delivered, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I can tell you that now the kids say kids quote you Google. Yeah, they quote you through Google. They say, "Mom, mom, it is a myth." Google says that, and then you have to like. How are you going to, or they say, humans are stupid. Google has the right answers. Yeah, yeah well, who put Google there, right? So the parents of this generation, and I for- we have to do more research and we have to come up with smart, smart answers that are not. So basically Google-based. parents are, That's parents are basically competing with Google today. Of, you know, as like our doctors, medicine. lawyers, engineers, and everybody right. else. <laughs> exactly. Like, Therapists. what they're seeing on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram is basically that's that's where they're getting their information from. Yeah. And so I'm I sure. Have yeah. Take a new mindset. Can oh, I just sorry. say, wasn't this the mindset when we were growing up as well? I'm not trying to take away. I do recognize that there are legitimate problems and legitimate struggles that, that that children today are facing but i feel like it's just an extension of what we always were like even when I, we were younger if my parents spoke oh please they don't know what they're talking about i didn't have google you know. but it was just like right. they don't know what they're talking about i have clients as a therapist who will come to me and say like oh i saw this on tiktok um like and some of them will be like i know this sounds weird but like they'll give me like a clarifier but that's where they're getting their information about in mental health and in some of it's like it's perfectly legit and it's great and it's nice to explore and process. But at the same time, um, if you know if it falls into the wrong hands or it's misinterpreted, um, and it and it goes back to what Keith was saying of that instant gratification. What I was I was going to say earlier about being like a, a Gen Xer, an older millennial, or a first gen maybe immigrant, was that all of the above had some degree of feeling like an outsider. And we have all in some way felt stranded sort of between two worlds and the second generation that, and I'm speaking to the ones that are being raised by first gen or like my experience as a mom is that they feel like a sense of belonging, like this innate sense of belonging that, um, that I didn't have, that I had to, to figure out that I had to acquire. Um, yeah. Do you think that had a lot to do with the fact that our parents being first generation, that they had missed home so much that like they had sort of instilled that same sense of home in us as well that like this home yes you were here Mm -hmm. but your real home is like back in india or pakistan they never assimilated 
Yeah. 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 Right. I, I'm agreeing with and you. And I think part of them didn't want to, right? Part they wanted to like hold they, on to that. Yeah. They never wanted to. They, right. It was always like, this is this temporary place where I'm staying and I'm going to go back there. Right. And that's your real home. Right? right. And that temporary was never, in air quotes. Temporary was a lifetime. They, they came here acting like visitors. So they never really assimilated. They never really kind of got into, they never upnowed I want to say like the American culture mm-hmm. or, and for us, it's just who we are. Right. So right. the, like Dejil having a child today has a sense of like, this is home, not the way that my, that my father saw it at all. No. So if you're always think, behaving like a visitor, yeah. you don't assimilate. That's what you're passing over to your kids. I mean, you're, you're that insecurity that you're always second, you know, yes, that you don't whatever. belong. Like you I, don't belong. Right. Yeah. And you have to work harder because you don't really like, do you deserve to be here? You know? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So growing up here and, you know, we all can attest to this growing up here, we had kind of a barrage of culture, right? Like everything you had to absorb about being brown. And I'm interested in finding out from Dejal actually, like what parts of the culture are you picking and choosing to expose your kids to? What are you giving importance? So I guess I would say that the way my parents passed it on and then like what I'm kind of taking from that. And I think I get a little like, I go through uh, ebbs and flows of being really intense and intentional about it. And then telling myself, cause you know, parenting is an experiment and then backing off for a bit and being like, okay, I think I'm doing a good job. So I guess when it came to my parents and I was actually talking to my mom about this today, they passed it on in the only way that they knew how. And it was like, it was through language. It was through food and religion. And it was in the way that they named us like back in those days. I mean, like today, would you ever hear of an Ashit or a Hardik? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So, Probably not. <laughs> um, so I'd imagine the parents of someone born after 1995 would have like the wherewithal. And that's uh, that was one of the things I wanted my children to have names that they could easily explain to someone else how to say. I was very intentional about that, but I also wanted them to have South Asian ethnic names. So that was like something I want to pass on. I didn't want to to like do a in between, like a J or an AJ or something like that. It was that was really really important to me. Not that there's anything wrong with those names or Hardik or Ashid either. They're fine too. <laughs> But uh, I would say that for what I try to do, because I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, is you, I try to decide what's important. And so, like, for me, food's important. So, like, three times a week to four times a week, they have, like, dal chawal and, like, Indian food. So it's something I wanted to pass. Because I didn't really enjoy that growing up, but I know how important it is. So it's, and then we have something our parents didn't have, is that I can outsource. So if I want to teach them Hindi... I can have a Hindi teacher. Hmm. It doesn't have to, to fall on. That wasn't something our parents had because they wouldn't, you know, they'd be like, I'm teaching you, you know, why would I? So that's, yeah. that's been huge. Uh, pop culture, Bollywood is one of the ways they sort of pass that. And then we have a lot of other stuff at our fingertips. If I decide that one of my, I want to do tabla lessons, you find a tabla teacher. It's a lot of the same stuff that I think we had growing up. Just... I think our generation in general is pretty good about outsourcing. How do you feel about language? Language is a tough one because I speak a dialect that like only like there's only 100,000 speakers. And it was really it's really important to my dad that my kids know the language, but or the dialect, I should say. But I had to really think about 
is that because to him that's how the culture gets passed that is really really important to him and so but for me I had to think about it is this really important to me or do I just not want to disappoint him Hmm. and I had to process that and figure that out and I realized it was like a better way to do it that it was it made more sense to teach the broader language which is Hindi which is what my husband speaks their dad and so we're going to go with the Hindi and and obviously English is a default and when it comes to my specific cultural background I can teach that in a different way I don't have to do it through language hmm. when they when they're older they understand that is something that's really important to me that they know but I'm gonna I'm gonna forego teaching them the dialect hmm. it's funny my dad also like that was a big thing in our house like the minute we would walk home mm-hmm. he'd be like you gotta speak in Urdu you cannot speak in English at home and so he forced us to speak in Urdu at all times and obviously at the time I was like whatever and I'd like talk to my sister in French because we were both taking French yeah. and so we would get by like that <laughs> have like secret conversations but it was you know, at the time I would get really mad. I'd be like, no, I don't, I want to speak in English. Like, why do we move to America then? Like, mm-hmm. if you're not gonna, you know, if you're not going to speak the language here, then what's the point? And, but now as an adult, as a 40 year old, I'm like, oh, thanks dad. <laughs> Thank you for doing that for me because I can actually like hold a conversation in Northern now. Same. And also understand if people are talking about me. <laughs> I actually appreciate the fact that my parents taught me all my, all my dialects. So I mean, I, I, I'm fluent in Sindhi, I'm fluent in Hindi, and then I taught myself Urdu and whatever. So I'm very happy that I am able to converse in the language in multiple scenarios. That's what I tell my daughter. I think it's important for parents to pass on their language to their kids, especially in America, because we only grow up. Yeah. with fun language. And I think, yeah, and I feel like, you know, I, I enjoy listening to I'm glad I was speaking in Urdu at home because I could listen to the songs. I could watch Bollywood movies and I could understand everything that was going on. Um, And I think it's interesting, like now, you know, kids are watching Miss Marvel, for example, and they're seeing like themselves represented on Mm -hmm. screen, which is really lovely, right? Like that we're seeing more and more South Asian representation, even in like on screen, which is really helpful for the children growing up in today's day. It's well worth um, thinking about, though. It is worth thinking about. Like, I, I can see where Thajal's dilemma is because she's right. Like, yeah. had I not known Cindy, what would I really have missed out on? I, I question, like, what was I? Because it's not I mean, I, I love the fact that I know the language. But I mean, in the big picture of things, I look at people that are just stuck speaking Cindy and it's like you're missing out on so much, you know, like they don't want to speak any other language and they only want to communicate in this one regional language, which doesn't. It's not international. You can't communicate anything with the greater world. Um, so that's the flip side to that is like, if you think about it as an American mother, yeah, the most, the two most important pressing languages, probably English, which he's learning anyway, the national language makes sense. Um, the nice thing about that is that you can communicate with people who can't and learn more about your culture, right? Like. A lot of the times you'll kids will come across students that are like immigrants coming from other countries that aren't well spoken in English, but are very comfortable speaking in their home dialect. I mean, their home language, whatever, Urdu, Hindi. Um, And they get to learn from them. Like, I really appreciated our parents even, you know, celebrating holidays, 
like ordering our shalwar kameezas, right? So like even through outfits and clothes, we were practicing our culture. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I hated <laughs> the fact that my mom made me wear these Indian outfits. There was a little time in between that I loved it. And yeah. then there was a time where I was just like, please stop. This is so unnecessary. But she would make me and she still bothers me about it now. Um, but I appreciate that because that is a part of the culture that I get to kind of say, mm-hmm. okay, that's my culture, right? right. So and I and I appreciate you know the photos of little boys and girls in Indian outfits too when I'm watching <laughs> looking online and I'm like oh look he's wearing a sarkar so yeah cute. they're so cute I love it and that's one of the things that that people really like love about our culture and like in general like even outsiders just like like I'll be someplace and some you know Caucasian woman will be like are you Indian I went to an Indian wedding once <laughs> I can't wait to the next time I'm gonna tell a, a Gora person I went to a Gora wedding once. <laughs> I think I have done that. You should. Yeah, because it's like, why are you announcing this to me? Um, <laughs> the othering. And I think it's lovely that, like, you know, yes. And with YouTube now being, like, the go-to source for, like, kids watching or TikTok, like, they're learning, like, South Asian dance moves that, you know, we grew yeah. up watching, like, Bollywood movies. That's where we were learning our dance moves. And now it's, like... They're learning it from like these amazing dancers. And it's just, it's lovely that like there's so, so much more absorption of culture going on now because of the internet. Um, and and that's sure... the positive side to it, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, like the flip side. I have a question now, right? Okay. Do you compare yourself to your parents? Like how they raised you versus how you are raising your children? I made a conscious and intentional decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to do that. So I didn't, I don't compare myself to my mother-in-law or my mom as a wife. And therefore I don't compare myself to my mom or anyone else or my parents as, as a parent. Okay. And it's safe to say then that if, if you're doing this and you're comfortable with it, there's no guilt. There's no guilt. And if I get like, you know, here and my parents have pretty pretty good boundaries in that regard and they don't say anything to me i mean in the couple times they may have made like an input about like a pacifier early on or uh or the way i decided to do certain things they quickly refrained and were like okay theodore knows best Um, so how did you how did you get to that point where you were able to get them to say okay theodore knows best for advice for other moms who may be feeling guilt or maybe struggling with like their parenting style versus their parents parenting style do you have any words of wisdom well i guess i would say is that when i started to realize that the guilt any guilt that i was feeling was uh was robbing my joy like if i was feeling guilty because i have i'm not saying that like i'm some like mahan being that never felt any of these emotions or anything like that i've definitely been there where i'm like i could be doing things better my mom wouldn't have done this she would wake up at six o'clock in the morning make a full course meal uh indian meal and then go to work for the day like I'm screwing that up. I'm eff- I'm effing up here. That was their definition of Mahanorte. Yes, 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 right. And I don't do that. I, I wake up when my children wake up. Mahanorte. That's the next. That's when you guys upgrade. Yes. <laughs> so 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 anyway. So that being said, I was like, and then I was like, that's not me. That's not who I want to be. I don't want to. And I'm and I'm not enjoying the present. And I'm like, and that it's okay to feed your kids like French fries for dinner or microwave the dal from Costco, because we have that now. <laughs> like, you know, so why, why am I doing this to myself? And I'd rather be 
do the shortcut method and spend time with them. Yeah. And I was like, am I enjoying this? And so that's where, when I realized I was, my guilt was robbing me my enjoyment of things. And I was stressing myself out was when I was like, I, I can't do this. I need to. And I realized how much more at peace I was when I let go. I think we also recognize the fact that we wish our parents would have spent more time with us rather than doing yeah. things for us. Yeah. Um, and you're, and you're making up that gap, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I don't want to, and I didn't want to, from that angle of like, oh, I want to do the things that they didn't do. Like, I want to do the things yeah. that they didn't give me. Like, I didn't, and I, and I didn't want to say that to make them sound like terrible people. They were just doing what they thought was best yeah. in the best way they knew how. Yeah. And uh, so from that angle, as I raise these I, Gen, Alpha, whatever they're going to be called, I'm like, okay, let's do this. But like, I, and I told the story earlier, but like, you know, I took my six-year-old to the Indian store to pick up some stuff yeah. and he goes, this smells <laughs> like six-year-old me in the 1980s, early 90s would have gotten a Tupperd sandwich. Hell yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <Boy>, shut up. <laughs> but I, I validated what he said. And I was all like, yeah, it smells. There's a lot of spices and smells in here all, you know, on one spot. This is a closed space and we live in a hot area. <laughs> smells. I would have been like, beta, you're going to love those smells when you're one <laughs> at a certain time yeah, right? in your life. Those same smells that I hated, I love now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the fact that we would walk to school and smelling like onions half the times. Yes. Oh, my God. And now I'm like, I don't even care anymore. I'm like, oh, I smell really good. <laughs> smells like I good smell yummy. like desi food that you guys spend yeah. $100 to eat. <laughs> And I'm sure this, like, white person that's, like, walking down the street probably will recognize it, too. I'll be like, oh, biryani ka itis ne. I took a Gora friend in graduate school to a gati roll in New York. And after we ate gati roll together, he loved it. He bought a toothbrush and toothpaste at the local Dwayne Reed. <laughs> and brushed his teeth? And brushed his teeth and, and, like, thoroughly washed his hands. And he's like, how do you get this smell off of you? And I was all like, what smell? <laughs> beta it becomes a part of your blood i'm just like what are you talking about the smell is incredible i want to smell this all day so that's the lesson you should have given avian you should have been like beta these are the smells that you're going to grow to love this is your identity this is this is the smell i was like just own the smell this is our smell okay this is and i smell. do think the other thing that really kind of changes for our parents to like the next generation of parents like Dejo you and I'm not same with you too. I think the fact that our parents come here when they move out of their countries, they're coming here in like that survival mode. They're like, mm -hmm. I gotta do this. That. Right? Like, we gotta save money. This is like your education is really serious. Like you cannot like you know, I was like, Oh, I wanna play the violin. Like, you gotta concentrate on your studies. And so everything for them was about like just, you know, excelling and getting a job and you know, it was very like sort of driven from that survival mindset. College is also no joke here, right? Like it's not like For in sure. India and Pakistan where it's a couple of hundred rupees, thousand rupees, one lakh rupees. Not that big of a deal in, in India and Pakistan to come up with. But here it's like thousands of dollars. In some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which, you know, yeah. like they're like, yeah, no, that that violin lesson that I'm going to spend 400 bucks is going to college uh, fund. Shut up. Right. And plus, like, free education in the U.S., right? Like, that was a new thing for us, too. Like, my parents were like, what? We don't have to pay for education? Mm -hmm. Right? So, like, I think even that it is subjective, right? Like, someone back home in Pakistan and India that, like, just doesn't have the means for that education. 
they're not going to be able to pay that lock or hazard or anything like that either, right? So they're like sort of shut out of luck at that point. But free education here is like, that's such an amazing thing for immigrant parents coming here who are in that survival mindset going, oh, shit. Yeah, and even those parents that don't believe that education is a thing or importance of education come to this country, realize that they have access to free education, then they want you to harness that. They want you to take advantage of that because they come here and realize that had they been educated or had they had higher degrees, they would have done better or that they have higher degrees and that's why they're doing better, right? So they want to push the education part on their kids too. Right, because they never had free access to free education, right? And even in their own days, right? Yeah. Um, and I do think that like parents often, you know, I have older siblings as well. I have nieces and nephews, and I think they're. I'm definitely seeing them raising their children very differently, where they're seeing these like sort of extracurricular activities as like, no, I'm going to invest mm-hmm. in this child's like curiosity, because um, I want them to explore all these other things, right? That I didn't get a chance to do. But Amna, do you think that you're still raising your child differently than what how your parents raised you? Obviously, right? Because I grew up in a country where there was cultural norms. Girls are different than boys, and and here too they are. But yet we brought up. Yeah. I did what I could to raise a child without gender gender norms. norms. Mm. Because I I grew up with gender norms. And I think that's a huge thing, right? Like, I think a lot of kids today, even in school, are learning about what does it mean to be LGBTQ, right? Like, what is gender identity and sexual orientation? And I think that's really great that they're getting that education so much sooner. I mean, I'm, I wish we would have gotten that. Yeah. We would have been, like, not as homophobic growing up or not as, like, just Clueless. rude or even sexist. And, you know, even I was sexist, right, like, growing up. Because that's all you heard around you. Um, I felt like we were we were clueless almost. I remember, um, you know, I don't know if you guys remember the show Three's Company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like the guy that lived with two girls, right? Yeah. Like Jack and Ritter. What was his Jack name? Ritter. Yeah. So the the whole plot of the show was that they had to pretend that he was gay, so therefore he could live with these two women because it wasn't allowed for like a heterosexual straight man to live with two women at that time. Yeah. So I kept asking my parents what gay was. We'd watch this show every day and they'd be like, oh, he's just happy and then get all weird. And I was all like, wait, are you telling me there's a whole show based on the fact that this guy is happy? (laughs) This is really strange. I think that's the same (laughs) definition that I got, Deja. That's that's pretty phenomenal. I think I've asked a lot of brown kids this and they've said the same thing. Like their parents would just be like, oh, he's happy. And I'm like. You made a show about a happy person? Like, I don't get it. I don't get it, yeah. I think that was the same thing that I got when I said gay, which is funny because gay, the other meaning for gay is happy. So if you look at it in a dictionary, yeah. that's what yeah. it says, which is pretty, you know, yeah. props to the Desi parents. Right. <laughs> but They were like vocabulary. This is a vocabulary lesson. <laughs> they just did a twist on vocabulary and got it off their yeah. backs. But, um, right. you know, it's funny. I think so. Deja, so you just mentioned, you know, the fact that like, when you ask your parents, and so what if your children It's different. Them, I would like, explain it. Gay means, different for you? like when two people, like a boy and a boy like each other or a girl and a girl like each other. And I would do it. And actually, speaking of, we, we were uh, looking at a house recently, about a year ago. My son was five, who's six now. And uh, the guy showing us the house was moving to Ohio. 
So my husband was asking like why he was moving. And the guy said, oh, my husband got a job in Ohio and we heard good things about it, like the city or whatever we're going to. So we're leaving. And my five-year-old turns to him and it's that parenting moment where you like the the time freezes for a second because you don't know what he's going to say. And he goes, where's your husband? And the guy goes, oh, he's at yoga class. And my son goes, oh, I do yoga. (laughs) That was it. Just like he was just naming, just want to know where this other person that lives in the house was. That's all. And that's the way it should be. That's what I love about this generation. Yeah. They value diversity and they like think, you know, they see it as like a strength. Even their cultural identification and the the way they want to brown kids, the way way they accept who they are. I wonder if all the generations before us said the same thing. Like if my parents looked at my generation and said, well. Never. (laughs) I don't think they My parents were like, my my parents yeah. were probably like, fail. Uh, I don't think they were that happy. <laughs> that. I would say that like for parents that are nowadays raising kids, whether you're raising like a, a Gen Zer or you're raising whatever comes after that, like a younger child. But I think reframing and like accepting that there isn't a blueprint on how to do this, as Agit says, parenting is one big experiment. So like take trying to take, I used to take this intense pressure of educating them about their cultural background. I felt like I was like, Alex Trebek on like Hindu Jeopardy and I'm not pioneering this <laughs> endeavor by any means like you know like Amna has been parenting a lot longer than I have there's many people that have come before me and that will come after me but I just wish that there was like some camp I could send them to where they would come back like with that that part immigrant hustle and part American entitlement and my fear is that they won't have that same hustle because they didn't have to the same adversity um, you could send them to Gitubu. Not sure, but <laughs> yeah. I could do that because you would do that. You would you would give them that hustle, <laughs> and so. But I'm kind of envious of other ethnic backgrounds. Was like migration story to America was like over a hundred years ago, and then there's like more of a flow chart, or maybe there's no flow chart. They just forgot about everything. But something like if my ch- child says like I don't know about Hindu gods, then I like send them to like some Sanskriti camp. Which is, I guess, is going to be Gita Bua camp. I'm telling you, send them to me. Next I'm the time, I will send them. I will <laughs> yes. put a tag on their head. Yes. And be like, find Geet Chanani. Don't call me. Yeah. And that's, don't call me. Send me your kids. <laughs> I will teach them a whole bunch I'll of call you. And so, <laughs> when you're ready, you shall send it back. It's, it's a process. We grow with our kids and we see what works and what doesn't work. Mm. And we go with our own process and that's my that's my message of raising kids in this culture is to be tolerant and patient and to be open thank you thank you yeah Yeah. um i think i think all of us can be patient we all have young people in our lives so half of us are even Mm. like i think you and i are sort of like the guardians of some of the young people mm. in our own lives, right? Like, but I think just having this conversation and helping all of us understand that, you know, parents today are struggling and that's okay, right? Like not everyone has it figured out. Dejo, thank you so thank much you. for your wisdom um, and sharing just even your experiences as a mom um, with younger kids right now who are sort of, yeah, they're learning from you, right? Thank you, Dejo. Thank you, Dejo. Um, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Amna. 
Thank you guys. Thank you, Orte. Mahan Orte. Mahan Orte. And that brings episode 11 to an end. Thanks for tuning in. With a new episode each week, you'll journey with Autodane through inclusive intergenerational conversations about the identities and experiences of brown women that tap into our South Asian roots in India and Pakistan. Autodane may get heavy at times as we process trauma and discuss challenges with patriarchy, misogyny, and sexism in our community. Sometimes you'll laugh out loud with us as we share personal stories. You may even feel uncomfortable when the discussion gets heated and we drop a gali or curse word. Matlab sorry, but not sorry. For more information on Orate, please visit our website at www.aurate.com or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at 3-A-U-R-A-T-E-N. We're always open to hearing any stories that you'd like to share, even if they have to be anonymous, let us know in the by private message or by email. This is Geet signing off.